that. Thank you, worship team. We're launching into a brand new series today, simply titled Wrecked by Grace. If you're comfortable, could you look at somebody next to you and say, have you been wrecked by grace? Have you been wrecked by grace? I know it's awkward, but it's a question that needs to be asked. I like the phrase wrecked by grace so much more than I like the phrase I became a Christian because it clarifies the power that the grace of God gains over your life when you truly encounter him. So it was about three years ago, I preached a message in our church to a lot fewer people, but it was called Wrecked by Grace. And once I did that, one of the words that came up again and again as people told their stories was we were no longer tracing back meeting Jesus to a moment where we prayed a prayer. We were now able to have this kind of language in our culture that was, I got wrecked by grace here. And even just saying the words wrecked by grace, it carries a different level of weight than I agreed mentally that Jesus is the son of God, that he came down from heaven to die for my sins, and I believe he rose from the dead. Wrecked by grace means I am ruined from living a life for anything less than the glory of God, and I am ruined from doing anything else with the breath of my lungs than proclaiming love and adoration for my heavenly father because of what Jesus has done for me. See, when we talk about grace, we're not simply talking about a grace that comforts you. We're talking about a grace that ruins you completely. What do you mean by ruin me? You ever been ruined by something that was so good, you knew if you ever had something similar that wasn't the same, it was going to spoil it for you? Have you ever eaten a steak that was so good, and as You were eating it, you were like, no, for the rest of my life, every time I eat steak, I will think about this steak. I won't be able to enjoy that one because this one was so good. Have you ever gone on like vacation with your family and everything was just unbelievable so much so that it ruined all future vacations? Like for the next five years, you were on vacation talking about that one vacation and you couldn't enjoy this one because that one was just so amazing. It ruined it in a good way. That's what Jesus does to your life when you truly get to know the grace of God that's available for you in him. He ruins you for anything less than living for him. So when we put words like Jesus wins on the walls of our lobby, what we're saying is that to be a Christian means to get to the place where you look around at every other option for your life and go, I don't understand everything about following him. I don't understand everything about the Bible, but this grace, this love, this mercy is so good. I cannot do anything but respond through surrender and submission and give my life over to him. That's what it means to be a Christian. And so what we want to happen in this space is more than impactful worship songs, more than sermons that apply to your life. We want to know, have you ever been wrecked by the grace of God? And it's so cool. We've got some new artwork up in the lobby. And what we wanted to do with that wall on the way in, I'm not sure if you saw it. I know there's a lot of hustle getting in and out of here. But there's a wall that says wrecked by grace. And we put these cards that say, I was wrecked by grace when dot, dot, dot. And what we're going to do over the next month is witness story after story after story where thousands of these cards are going to be up on that wall going, this was the moment where I encountered Jesus and he changed my life forever. For some of you, you're going to write today's date on one of these cards, which is going to be crazy. 
But it's for us to remember there has to be some sort of ownership that Jesus takes over your life when you truly understand grace. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to Colossians, he says, since the moment you truly understood God's grace, he pinpoints that as a starting point for true faith. And I believe that's going to happen, but if it's going to happen over the course of the next month, we're going to have to go to some uncomfortable places. Because I think part of the reason why so few of us would honestly say that we've been wrecked by grace is because lots of us have heard about the grace of God, but very few of us have a true appreciation of what that grace paid the price for. So you'll never really know what you've been saved for until you understand what you've been saved from. As I was thinking about our church, I think there's a little bit of a disconnect over time that has happened where we hear about the kindness of God, we hear about the love of God, we hear about the forgiveness of Jesus, but we're so quick to get to that mercy that we skip over why we needed it in the first place. The gospel is not truly good news to you until you know how much bad news there was if Jesus didn't come through on your behalf. And so today, this whole series is going to be very different than you're used to at ACC. In fact, I would say I have never prepared to preach a sermon that has felt more similar to like an Old Testament prophet who got a word from God that they didn't want to say, but knew they had to say it because it was like deep within them. I've negotiated with God all week long about what I'm going to say to you. And, th- and said, you know, this is like a, it's like a home game weekend. There's people visiting. Like, I could, I could preach something, like, popular. I could preach something that's a lot easier to, like, stomach than the price that Jesus truly paid for your life and understanding that. And I've just gone back and forth. I've literally changed the sermon 15 times and gone, man, no, let's just talk about something trendy. Let's talk about dating. Let's talk about, like, marriage advice. Let's talk about things that are just, you know, they're going to be helpful and they're going to leave and they're going to have a good lunch. And I'm telling you, God has gone, Miles, you are not an entertainer that speaks for people who sit through your services. You are a servant. I have something to say. If you want to open your mouth and say it, I'll use you. If not, I'll use somebody else. Anybody God ever talked to you like that? You're like, I love you. Are we still good? Um, That's where I am today. Some of you, that's uncomfortable to even think about God talking to you that way. It's because I think we've mastered so much on the love and the grace and the faithfulness of God that maybe subconsciously, a lot of us, including me, have accidentally developed a me-centered theology instead of a God-centered theology. Do you know this story is about God? You know, your life is about God. And we get so overwhelmed by the never-ending love of God that I think it kind of jades us to who truly is telling the story and who truly is ultimately the point of all of this. And so I'm not looking forward to what I'm about to say. I'm saying it with a little bit of a heavy heart and a little bit of a hesitant tongue. But if you have an issue with what I'm about to say, please don't email me. I struggled with it too. And I didn't get it from my notes. I got it from this book. If you have your Bible, hold it up all over this room. Come on, 10 a.m. Tell me you brought your Bibles to Auburn Community Church. Hold them up high. Hold them up proud. Slight judgmental stares to those who are getting their phones out and trying to, oh, you're going to your Bible app. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. It's cool. If you want to get your phone out, it's fine too. But we're already going to have it on a screen. So 
It's just pages, man. Something powerful about the pages. If you need a Bible, we will get you a Bible. Tell somebody at the info table. We'll have one to your house by Tuesday. It'll be a Jesus Bible. Come in Amazon Prime, free of charge. That's not an invitation to order a Bible through ACC and resell it on the internet, by the way. Um, but you know what? Fine. If, if it gets a Bible, to, sure. We'll just send you a Bible. Anyway, Isaiah chapter 6. This is a... This is actually the most popular and well-known prophet of the New Testament and his moment of being wrecked by the grace of God. And the interesting thing about Isaiah is he gets called by God to say a lot of things that he didn't want to say, but he says it faithfully and obediently because of what happened to him in Isaiah chapter 6. This is a rare encounter with the throne room of God. So this is a vision of heaven, which if you've ever read Revelation before, you know that's where the throne room of God is. But the interesting thing about Isaiah chapter 6 is that this account happened 800 years before Jesus' earthly life and ministry even began. So seeing this vision of Jesus in the throne room tells you that Jesus was not a human being who became God. Jesus has been on the throne from the beginning, and he will be on the throne forever and ever. Watch this. Isaiah chapter 6, verses one through eight, I can call this the gospel in eight verses. Here we go. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty." Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. The gospel in eight verses. That was weird. Everybody look up here. I believe over the next couple of weeks, we are going to develop a higher view of God and a deeper view of what God has done to save us. So much so that there are going to be people connected to the life of our church who get wrecked by the grace of God, who never saw it coming. And there are going to be people who thought that they knew God deeply, who come to understand the love of God in a deeper way than they ever thought possible. And it's going to transform not only their life, but the life of everyone around them. This is a strange account of the Bible, but it's actually really simple in that in eight verses, Isaiah's encounter with God is actually a walkthrough of the gospel of Jesus Christ in pure form. Here's what I mean. When we say the word gospel, very few of you truly know what I'm talking about when I say that. Some of you think it's a genre of music. Some of you think it's, it's the good news about Jesus dying for us. Well, that's part of it, but that's not fully and complete what the gospel is. 
The gospel is the narrative story of God that has invited you and me into a right relationship with God. And the gospel does not begin with Jesus dying. The gospel begins where Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 begins. Look back at verse 1. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died. I love that. I love that in the year that the king of Israel died, there's still a king on the throne of heaven. Do you know how many kings and presidents and dictators and queens and czars and Caesars have come on and off their thrones and the world thought that their influence was great and all the while there's one, the king of kings, greater than all, the great I am, who sits enthroned in majesty forever and ever. Amen. I love that. In the year that King Uzziah died, Jesus is fine. He's there. I saw the Lord. Isaiah doesn't know to identify him as Jesus. We do as New Testament believers. But he's high and and exalted, not exhausted. He's never tired. Number one, (laughs) you're tired. B is greater than do. Okay, four points of the gospel that get walked through. I want to begin with point number one. Point number one is the glory of God. The glory of God. Did you notice that the story did not begin with anything about Isaiah? It didn't start with Isaiah. It started with Jesus. And the narrative of the story of God begins with the glory of God. Why does the world exist? Why does the universe exist? Why do mountains exist? Why does creation exist? God's glory. What is What exactly does glory mean? It means to ascribe value and adoration and superiority to God. So what's happening in this scene? Well, there's two of these seraphim. That's a weird word that we sing about in old hymns. Anybody grow up Southern Baptist? Cherubim, seraphim. I remember that. I don't even know what it means, but I remember being there and being hungry. And so I, uh, seraphim, whoa, don't act like you weren't. And so I remember hearing the word seraphim, but then I heard it described this way. The word seraphim simply means burning one. They're these burning beings. They burn with the glory of God, but with two wings, they cover their eyes, and with two wings, they cover their feet, and with the other two, they're flying, and they never stop calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. They never stop. Like, if you're going to sing forever, you might want to change it up. Why you got to say the same word three times? What is the deal with holy? Listen, to say that God is holy is to say that he is without error and without equal. So it is not simply that God is perfectly pure. He's also perfectly sovereign and superior. They are proclaiming the glory of God back and forth. He is perfect. He has no one like him, and they just can't stop because they literally burn with the glory of God like the rest of creation. Jesus is enthroned. Heavenly beings are singing, and nothing that is happening in the realm of humanity even matters. This has to become a part of your worldview, church. I think the reason why so few of us have been wrecked by grace is because so many of us have started with the grace of God over our life and not thought about the fact that God would be fine if humanity never existed. He's sufficient. He's secure. His glory is total. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of it, full of it, full of his glory. Now watch what happens next. This is so interesting. Isaiah says, whoa. But he doesn't say, wow, that's awesome. He says, whoa, I don't belong here. Number two is the lostness of man. The lostness of man. This is where Isaiah says, I'm 
ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. I'm suddenly aware of how sinful I am in the sight of a holy, glorious God. In the book of Genesis, you have the account of God's creation where God distributes mountains and seas and animals and lays out the boundary for his creation. But every single piece of God's creation is in perfect unison with his purpose until he creates his greatest creation of all human beings in his own image to reflect his glory. And human beings are the first created beings to respond to a holy, glorious God and say, no to his call and command. You realize the weight of this is more than, yeah, we do bad things. The sinful lostness of humanity takes over every ounce of our being, so much so that Romans chapter 3 tells us that there's no one righteous, not even one. Their throats have become open graves. They cannot help but do evil. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Totally lost, depraved, no way of bouncing back from that. So why do I tell you that? Okay, I'm going to give you the next two and then explain this. Can we put three and four up there? Number three is the mercy of our Savior, and number four is going to be the mission of the kingdom. Now, remember, Isaiah, 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 what happened? There was a seraphim that grabbed some tongs and picked up a coal from the altar. The altar symbolizes sacrifice and pressed that Uh, sacrifice on Isaiah's lips. The lips were not necessarily the problem. That was just symbolic of where his guilt was. So there was a sacrificial atonement that made it possible for Isaiah to stay in the presence of God, although he was sinful. This is a picture of Jesus's sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf. But then right after the mercy goes out, the mission starts. You never get mercy from God without there being a mission attached to it. God says, I love God talks to himself. Who shall I send? Who will go for us? One of the many mentions that remind us that God is a triune God, and I won't be explaining the Trinity in this series, trust me. Not even going to attempt it. And so I grew up, did you ever grow up hearing somebody try to explain the Trinity? And they were like, it's like water. It could be ice. It could be gas. It could be liquid. That is a terrible way of trying to explain Father, Spirit, Son. But good try, though. I'm not going to. Here's the thing. God's like, who will go for us? And Isaiah says, I'm right here because I just went from being wrecked by my sin and ruined to wrecked by your grace and forgiven. So I'll go wherever you want me to go, and I'll say whatever you want me to say. The mission unfolds, and we'll come back to that. Now, everybody look up here and don't miss this. Why did I tell you about these four things? First of all, because as your pastor, I feel convicted that there are a lot of you who are a part of our church who are passionate about Jesus and do not know how to articulate what you believe about the Bible. I don't want anybody attached to our church to not be able to answer the question, what is the gospel? The gospel is not Jesus died to save us from our sins. No. The gospel is God is glorious, total, and complete. Mankind is sinful. God had mercy and sent Jesus, and now there's a mission and a purpose for your life to spread his glory just like he wanted it to be spread from the very beginning. God has not veered from plan A at all. His glory is still going out through redemption. So that's part of it. But the other reason why I want to talk to you about this, don't miss this, don't miss this. Almost all of us grew up hearing a version of the gospel that started with point number three, mercy. And it's incomplete, 
and insufficient to sustain you. So what's the first thing you heard about Jesus? He loves you. This you know, for the Bible tells you so. I sing that song twice to my daughter every night. It has to be twice, again, again. And I'm like, no, it's enough. We're doing itsy bitsy tonight because I'm tired of that one. But I do love singing it. And, and, and you hear that. I was trying to explain uh, the love of God to my two-year-old a couple weeks ago. And I said, like, Jesus loves you. She, and, and we have a toddler who's in the why stage. Young parents, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, why? 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 Jesus loves you. Why? Because he died to save you. Why? And I'm like, that's a really good question. Like, we need to talk about this in about five or six years. But you and I grew up four or five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. What's the first thing we heard about Jesus? He died on the cross to save us. It's good news, but incomplete because it created in you a worldview where you have a God who does you divine favors just because your life is so important and so valuable. And so what you do is you create a God in your own image who, because he did that without you even asking. Now he should do whatever you ask and when he doesn't, there's a disconnect. And the entire time you've created a me-centered existence because you have skipped the cost for which we are saved. Why did Jesus have to go to the cross to save us? Here's why, and this is the part I didn't wanna preach. When you combine the glory of God with the lostness of man, the result is hell, judgment, wrath. So please know this. God did not create hell during the six days where he was creating the world. He didn't go, hey, I got a great idea. I just want to burn people I don't like forever because I'm mean. Some of you, that's the reason why you don't believe in God because you think that's what God is like. No, Hell is not a part of creation. Hell is the result of a condition. And that condition is your sin in the presence of God's glory. You mix the two, God has no choice but to punish that sin eternally because God created you as an eternal being. So there's no way God can go, well, I'll just let them cease to exist. No, 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 no. He breathed the breath of life into humanity. You will live forever but without a sacrifice to atone for your guilt, you and I end up consumed by the wrath of a holy God. This is who God is. Some of y'all want to tell your parents right now, you're like, he's never like this. And I'm sorry, I'm telling you, God just told me to bring this to you because we have this tendency. Like, anybody read New Morning Mercies? And and, and we read the scripture from Lamentations chapter three about how God's mercies are new every morning. Do you know how that scripture begins? It says, Lord, because of your compassion and love, we are not consumed. Your mercies are new every morning. God's glory and your sin, there is no choice for a holy God to do anything other than consume that being eternally in hell forever Because his majesty and glory is that perfect. And because your sin is so rebellious and disgusting. The gospel has to begin with really, really, really bad news. For the effect of the good news to actually have weight. Because it is in this context. You're not going to believe this. All of that is true. But in the context of Isaiah, you read the rest of the Bible and you find out 
So the one who was on the throne, having the being sing the song, holy, 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 that Lord is going to come down into a manger and be born. This is not a Christmas message. It is not Christmas time. I'm just starting there. I'm serious about this. God's mad about sin. I'm mad about early Christmas. All right. Comes down off that throne, enters a human body, lives a perfect life, and he becomes the sacrifice for sin. See, there was an altar that was burning a sacrifice. Jesus let his body burn with the wrath of God and bleed and die on our behalf. So every ounce of punishment that God owed you for the sin that you were born into, not the sin that you committed when you were four months old and stole your first cookie out of the cookie jar, not when, not when you did something really bad that you regretted. No, sin is not an action. It's a condition. It's why death exists. It's why cancer exists. It's why divorce exists. It's why natural disasters exist. It's why shootings exist. Sin is in us. The wages of sin is death. And God took that and put it on Jesus for you. And when you see that, you don't go, I think I'll be a Christian because I think they're right and the Muslims are wrong. You go, I am ruined. I was going to be ruined because you're so glorious and I'm so sinful, but now my whole existence is ruined because I can do nothing but worship you and follow you and live my life for your glory because what is there to do that's worth more than tell the world how awesome you are, how amazing you are, your redemption is total, your sovereignty is complete, and my life is now for your glory. I'm wrecked by grace. That's where I am, and that's where I want you to get. Not that you have to be able to yell it fast like that, but that you do have to feel it like that. Romans chapter three, verse 23, summarizes it. For all have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God. If there's a period in that sentence, we are doomed forever. Thank God for commas. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. These are verses that we all memorized. If you're new to church, we all memorized Romans Road growing up. We knew stuff like this. Do you feel that? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, bound for hell, rejection, judgment, away from God, not because God's the problem, because we're the problem. And in his grace, Jesus ushers in redemption. The kingdom of God is about redemption. The kingdom of God is about Jesus taking back his territory. So when you hear, when you see the mission of the kingdom, that's how it ends. Don't think kingdom as like a place. Think kingdom is wherever Jesus is king. So if Jesus is the king of your heart, you are the walking, talking, living, and breathing kingdom of God. And everywhere you go, God's kingdom spreads. And that's more than just teaching people how to pray a three-step prayer. That's taking hope and freedom and grace and life into the most desperate and destitute places. Wherever the kingdom of God goes, people prosper. Wherever the people of God go and the kingdom of God spreads, sick are healed. Governments are restructured. Lives are changed. Everything gets better. Why? Because we are in an era where Jesus has finished the work of our redemption, but there are two kingdoms colliding in the world and in our lives right now. 
The kingdom of darkness ruled by Satan and sin and the kingdom of light ruled by Jesus himself. And guess, guess what? Jesus wins. And the more we as the people of the kingdom of God shine that light and say, Lord, here am I. Send me wherever you want me to go. I'm wrecked by grace. I'm ruined for anything less than living for your glory. What happens is the darkness gets pushed back by the light that we are carrying. That's why you have breath in your lungs. And I'm just dreaming about the day that we would maybe broaden our worldview to stop interpreting the events of our day as the truth that we respond to and start interpreting the kingdom of God as the reality that we live in and have a worldview strong enough to withstand the lies of this world and the enemy. I want this message to mess with you. I want it to shake you up a little bit. I want you to start to feel like you have less control over who calls the shots in this world and in your life because you don't if he's your Lord. And the reason why I felt so compelled to preach this is I think we are living in an era that has the capacity to bring massive revival for the kingdom of God, but the missing piece is personal sorrow over sin and a commitment to the truth of the Holy Scriptures. Those two things. We're so crazy about the grace of God that we're not sorry anymore when we sin. God's grace doesn't make you just feel less guilty. God's grace washes you away from the guilt to live a holy life. And so I want you to feel the weight of your sin, but you know what else I want you to feel the weight of? God is not who you think he is. God is who the Bible says he is. And when you and I are tempted to believe that something is flawed about him, please know this. Something is flawed about us. And so when you get to a passage or I would say a truth about God where you're tempted to put God's word in subjection to your reasoning, I just want to ask you the question, is it possible that maybe something's not wrong with God? Something is wrong with us? I'm watching Christians connected to our church say they love Jesus, say they believe in a God of grace, and I'm watching people march in pride marches holding rainbow flags. You do know that the rainbow is the symbol of God putting his wrath on the shelf because of his love for humanity. And we've got a culture parading underneath a banner that I would honestly call a middle finger to the God of the universe. We'll take your symbol for not unleashing wrath on us and we'll make it our symbol of doing whatever we want. Do you see this happening and not go, ow, he's holy, we need to be careful. See, Jesus was full of grace and truth. You take the truth out, there's no grace. You take the grace out, there's no truth. And the reason why I think I'm allowed to say what I'm saying from the stage is I think our church of any church is the most welcoming place in the world for anyone struggling with same-sex attraction. I think you're going to find a home here. I think nobody's going to look at you like you're weird. I think you can say that. I think we're also a church that equally stands against adultery and the lust that other people are struggling with in secret, pretending like it's not as bad as same-sex attraction, and we'll talk about each one equally and go, hey, we're all broken. We got issues. That's grace. But grace without truth, Jesus must change us, is empty. And if you don't develop a worldview where God is the one who defines truth, even if I'm tempted to disagree 
you will walk away from your faith, or worse yet, you'll pretend like you have real faith, and you'll prevent true revival from happening in our day because you don't get that God is not who you made him to be. God is whoever he says he is. This is heavy, I know, but we got it. ACC is special because we mix grace and truth because that's who Jesus is. We're going to be graceful, but we're also going to call sin for what it is. You guys know the whole world is pointing at our state like we are crazy because of our abortion ban. You, do you, anybody have a Twitter and see what other states say about Alabama since that? And it's like, there are people attached to our church who think that our legislation on that was off and that a women's right to choose should overlap an unborn baby's right to live. You need to know the gospel teaches the value and sanctity of every human life. You do not have the ability to create an opinion about that issue because God's opinion is your opinion when you've been wrecked by grace. But at the same time, we're not going to be a church that waves the finger at abortion. We're going to be the church that goes, have you had an abortion? Have you done something that you truly regret? Come experience the grace and healing and forgiveness of God because we love you. That's what this space is. So very few of you come to the 7 p.m. because you're here this morning. But at the 7 p.m. a couple weeks ago, some of y'all were here for this moment. We showed a video of a couple telling a story about having a baby that they didn't know was coming. Unexpected pregnancy. Two Christians. And they experienced the redemption of God. They had this baby. They got married. Amazing story. Here's the thing. I knew that somebody was hearing that story and was full of regret, not hope. So I got up here at the 7. Crazy things happen at the 7. And I said... Somebody is in here right now who that video did not encourage you. In fact, I think it's multiple people. Because your story did not end with the birth of a new baby and the redemption of a family. Your story ended with abortion and the taking of an unborn life. And I said, I just want you to know you're not alone in that. You have a church of people who want to surround you with love and comfort. And if that's you and you're bold enough, would you just lift up your hand right now? The girl sitting right there lifted her hand and we all prayed over her. And I had, I had a thousand people that night hug her on the way out. Tell her, we love you. We're with you. But you know what? She wasn't the only one. I believe God was using her to overflow into others who weren't maybe in a position where they were ready enough to lift their hand. We've got the environment of grace, guys. We've got that here, and it's special. But if we do that without a true commitment to God is whoever he says he is in the Bible, period. It will be incomplete. It will not sustain. And it's part of the reason why so many of our young people graduate from college and move on from faith in their 20s and 30s. Because their faith wasn't really rooted in a full gospel. It was partial. And so here's where, here's where it's about to get a little more comfortable. Are you ready? Can you just take a breath? I want to. <laughs> this one's heavy. I promise I didn't want to do this. The reason why you can trust a God who you don't always agree with is the ultimate moment revealing his character was a moment that you would have never chosen. I'm talking about the cross. So I got stuff about the Bible that I don't understand. I got stuff about God that I go, I don't know if I, I don't know what to do with that. Like the fact that when the glory of God collides with the lostness of men, like, do you know if people don't come to faith in Jesus to save them, they will go to hell forever and ever. There are people who never hear the gospel, the message of Jesus. They don't go to heaven because they never heard it. 
They go to hell because they never heard it. That's why we have to get it to them. That's why the mission of the kingdom matters. If someone goes to heaven because they've never heard the gospel, what's the worst thing we could tell them about? The gospel, because it makes them liable. See how our reasoning is just off in that? But I got stuff that I disagree with, and I read through the Bible, and I'm like, okay, you, you had a bad day. Flood the earth. Wow. You guys know the flood wasn't a sunny day with giraffes and their heads out the window while an ark was floating. It was a massive elimination of humanity. Wow. Let's just keep. Oh, don't even get me started on Deuteronomy. Um, like, like the people of God bow down to a golden calf and they keep worshiping idols. And God says, Moses, you and your men, grab swords. And anybody who's reveling in the worship of other gods, just take them out. I don't care if they're your wives, your sisters, your brothers, your uncles. Just wipe them out. My holiness cannot handle this. I go, I kind of want to tap God on the shoulder and go, oh, hey, buddy, can you calm down? You see how you see? This is is what we think in our heads about hell. This is what we think about stuff we don't agree with. Can you, like, change a little bit? Because I know something in my created brain that you created that you don't know. No, 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 no. So when you get to these passages and you go, okay, Job, most righteous man in the world, soars, whole family dies, sit in death. God's just going to let Satan have him. Why? But then I get to the cross and I go, see, I like that you're not who I want you to be. I like that you are who you are. God exists for his own glory and he gets more glory through the simultaneous punishing and forgiving of sin than he does with just a free-for-all forgiveness fest for everybody. That's a mystery to me, but here's what you need to know. The ultimate moment God punished sin and forgave it is the cross. And a God who sends his perfect son off the throne to die for sinful people like you and me is a God who I don't understand his mind, but I trust his heart. Do you trust his heart? How do you know? This is where we're landing. You trust his heart if you live by two things, by grace alone, through faith alone. That's how you know. This is how we're saved, and this is how we're sustained. The grace of God wrecks us, and our faith says, God, I don't understand everything, but I trust you. And for some of you, you believe that to be real on a screen, but you've never actually exercised that with your life. I cannot sit here in a Q&A and make everything clear that's a little bit unclear for you about the Bible, but I can tell you God is faithful, and I can tell you you can trust him. Why? Because I've experienced his grace. Have you? What's the grace of God? The grace of God is the demerited favor of God. Not unmerited. Unmerited means you get what you don't deserve. Demerited means you get the opposite of what you deserved. You and I deserved hell, separation from God. We got heaven, perfect relationship with our heavenly father and unconditional love and surpassing peace and eternal security forever and ever. And we did nothing, nothing, even our faith. So when you put your faith in Jesus, people go, that's, that's you playing your part in being saved. No, it isn't. Faith is not playing your part. Faith is admitting that you don't have a part. Faith is going, I can't do any of this. It's all you 100%. And it's better that it's you because if any of it was up to me, it wouldn't happen. Thank you for saving me and my life is gratitude. This is where we'll land. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. 
the reason why you can trust the heart of God is because he has gifted you with a salvation that you did not deserve. And you are sitting in front of a guy who I have no reason to be holding this microphone right now if not by the supernatural grace of God who chose to give me what I did not deserve. Our God is holy. His glory will consume sinners forever and ever. And one of those doesn't have to be you if you place your faith and trust in Jesus today. And for the maybe thousand of you who already have done that, I just want to know, is this still true? Like, when's the last time the grace of God just knocked you on your face to go, you did that for me. Thank you, Jesus. I lay down my life again in faith and say, I trust you. Man, I know some of y'all are going through circumstances where you're like, I didn't need a gospel presentation today at church. I would argue maybe you do. Maybe you need to be reminded that if God took salvation out of your hands, he can take your situation too. If he can handle your eternal destiny, he can handle what's going on in your family, he can handle what's going on in your job, he can handle what you want answers for, he can handle your singleness, he can handle everything that you think you needed an answer for today because in Jesus, not only Jesus wins, watch this, we win. Can you stand up all over this place? We're gonna celebrate the love of God together before we leave. Fittingly, the band's gonna come up here. You know what we're gonna sing? Reckless love. Yes, we are. A reckless love is a song that can be misunderstood as a song that seems to be proclaiming that God is misaligned, that he's crazy, that he doesn't really calculate the consequences of doing stuff. That's not what we mean when we say the reckless love of God. What we mean is that there is no price or effort that God is not willing to make and lay down to bring his children into his family. And so the one who was on the throne got off the throne and came down from heaven to save you. If you're here today and you'd say, Miles, I've never accepted that gift for myself. It is yours in Christ. Would you bow your heads all over this room? If you wanna take that step today for the very first time and say, I'm in by grace, through faith. I believe Jesus is the son of God. I believe he died to save me and I want my sin on the cross, not on my conscience. If that's you today, would you just lift your hand right where you are? I wanna pray for you. This is your moment, such a powerful moment to stand and say, Jesus, I give you my life in this space. Amazing, amazing, wow. I want you to pray this simple prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. Take my sin, take myself, I trust you. Father, I know the weight of the words that have been spoken in this space go beyond people coming to know Jesus for the first time. I know a lot of us who have considered ourselves to be followers of Jesus for a long time are a little bit awakened right now. We're a little bit uh, unraveled right now, but I pray in the name of Jesus that we would become so secure in what you have finished on our behalf that your truth surpasses our willingness and our ability to try to take your place God, we don't want to do that. We want to stay submissive to your word. So in Jesus' name, as we get this amazing opportunity to sing about your love, would you come and fill this place? I pray for people who are even in the lobby, disconnected from the weight that's so present in this room. I pray that your spirit would make that felt and do what we cannot do. We love you, Lord. We're so grateful. 
We sing to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, church, let's sing.